Well, uh, welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I am your host, Keith Dent, and hey, it's it's hard to fathom that it is on the end of summer and it's gone by like really quickly. Um, and there has been a lot going on. I mean, kids are already back in school already. My son's my son doesn't go back till a couple weeks, but we're already gearing up for the school year. It's a big year coming up, so we're excited. But that's not what we're here for today. But I just love wanted to mention that. I hope all of you have enjoyed your vacation. If you've been anywhere or if you're going for the holiday, hopefully you'll have a safe and happy one and gear up for this year as we head into 2024. So today, since, you know, folks that probably have spent money on vacation or getting ready to prepare to use money for college, you know, today we're going to be talking about equity, you know, equity owning things but primarily um, when it comes to investments. So according to the Federal Reserve Board in 2019, uh, when it comes to the stock market, equity investments, only only 34% of Black Americans households own equity investments. And, and primarily we're talking about the stock market versus 61% of white families. And then the average value of the stocks that they own is about $14,400 versus $50,600. So that that's a big that's a big gap there. That's almost three times as much. Um, but there's so many things that add to the disparity which we're really not going to get into today. That's that could be at least two or three conversations. But some of those things are high unemployment rate, access to jobs that even have retirement accounts and then and then just a lack of education itself. For the most part, if you don't really understand how the stock market works, um, you're not going to just delve into it because it is it can be risky. And we'd rather um, buy a sure thing like sneakers. <laughs> we know that we know what the sneakers look like. They know how they're going to feel or whatever those things for that matter. But those those things are particularly consumer items that aren't necessarily going to return any investment uh, for the money that we're actually put in. And I didn't get those numbers, but I'm sure um, our guests may be able to shed light on that. You know, we, we tend to be um, consumer oriented uh, and our value or how we feel about things come from purchasing things and not necessarily owning and then saving uh, our money for uh, a rainy day. Today's guests, they chose to do something about that. The great thing about they're a father-son team. Uh, Kavan Chisholm and Kamari Chisholm, father and son. And they're this, I guess, co-CEOs of Black Wall Street Consultation Services. And they also have a nonprofit called Junior Wall Streeters. And their sole focus is to decrease the wealth gap between disadvantaged groups and white Americans. So today on today's show, we're going to talk about their journey uh, and how they got there, why they decided to uh, go into this. And they're going to kind of give us a little bit of ins and outs on investing if you've never invested before, or if you feel you're an intermediate investor and you want some tips on how to take your investments to the next level. I hope you enjoy the interview. 
And the next voices you'll hear will be me, Kavan, and Kamari Walker. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we're doing well. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, Kamari, thank, well, thank you guys for coming on today. So, you know, Kavan, we'll start with you. Um, so I know that, um, give me a, what is the Black Wall Streeter Consultation Services? So Black Wall Streeter Consultation Services was first launched actually five years ago in June. We celebrated uh, unofficially five years in June. And that's our investment club component. Our motto is building wealth through investment clubs. So it was about five years ago, a little bit more than five years ago, I went to a national investment club conference. As the president of our family investment club, Umoja Investment, I was representing them. And uh, we just celebrated 20 years in mm. uh, March. So when I was at this conference, um, there was hundreds of people there. And I felt like there was not enough people like me there in attendance. So um, I came back. Uh, I remember this very, very well. This was in March. And in June, I, I launched June Black Starter, Black Wall Treater Consultation Services. I did paperwork and so forth. And um, I named it Black Wall Streeter, pay homage to, to Black Wall Street, the community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I wanted us to try to revive that type of uh, togetherness that they had in our community. And I wanted this business to focus on that. So that is investment club is in starting investment clubs, managing, organizing investment clubs is Black Wall Street's primary focus. And the focus is also is to address some of those uh, numbers that you mentioned. Uh, those very low numbers of the participation of of African Americans participating in the stock market, uh, and so we try to help people to form investment clubs, which is a group of people. Uh, I like to say ten to twenty people getting together for three reasons: one, to become financially literate, if needed. The members can meet once a month, become financially literate. Two, to pool their resources together. Um, thereby decreasing the risk, using their resources to invest in the stock market. You don't only have to invest in the stock market. We have people that like to invest in real estate or stock market and real estate. And uh, to come to, to the third reason is to just have a good time, you know, mm. to tackle some of these issues, but also getting together. Uh, and that's what we've been doing for the past 15 years, our investment club, Emoja. I say 15 because we're getting older and the having the fun and stuff that kind of went away. We just kind of take care of business and keep it moving, but we're, we're still in existence after 20 years. Wow. And uh, yeah. yeah. So was just, was the conference, the NAIC conference? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause uh, oddly enough, uh, which I meant to mention in my intro that we actually had an investment club. Okay. Way back. Um, but before um, with a group of American, a group of young married couples. But then when the kids came, that kind of splintered us. Um, and, and then also, which I, I'd love to get in, uh, your take on it. Um, we also had different um, 
investment styles. And since maybe we weren't family, that had <laughs> that yeah. that kind yeah. of um, made things a little challenging. So, um, but we'll get to that. I, I just wanted to go back a little bit because I know you said you started it 15 years ago, but I wanted to know, you know, what was your since Kamara, you you brought your son along, you know, but what was your adolescent life like? You know, I see you you grew up in Newark and what was it like in regards to like investments in your knowledge, uh, things of that nature? Yeah. So growing up in Newark was pretty tough, man. I, I, uh, it was, I grew up in a tough environment. Um, uh, I saw a lot of violence, um, a lot of, a lot of crime and, um, but, but, uh, and I was raised by a single parent. My, my mom raised my brother and I, and we, we, and she was on, um, a public assistance. And so I saw a lot. I mean, there was, there were times when we were evicted out of our, our apartment and there were times when we didn't have lights because my mother couldn't, couldn't afford to, to pay the light bill or she couldn't afford to pay the light and the gas bill. And, you know, and I, and I say that I'm glad my son is here because I want him to know, like, this, where your parents are right now is not where we started. And that's why he goes and stay with his mother, his grandmother in Newark. And, you know, I tell you, when he went there about five years ago, he's 16 now, and he can probably share his experience. You know, he went to play basketball in Woodbury Park with his grandmother. And she's also was a former public school teacher, so she's, you know, comfortable. But his ball rolled down to the other court where the, some of the local kids were playing. And um, they were not really excited about giving him back that ball. And if my if his mom, his grandmother, didn't say, get that ball back, mm. he might have not had that ball. And I told him, that's just, these kids in this environment, some of them, when they don't have stuff, they take. They take. And he's, he's pretty fortunate. He's not living in that type of environment now. But that's what we grew up in, right? People wanted something, still do. They don't, they, they take, take. Um, and that's really unfortunate. But I'd say from that experience, right, from that experience that I grew up in, that is what Junior, when we get to Junior Wall Streeter, that is what Junior Wall mm. Street is all about. My personal right. experience. Right, Kamari, was that, was, was, that a cult, was that a culture shock for you when that, that thing happened? Yeah, that was definitely um I didn't really expect it. I was kind of shocked that um you know, he just wouldn't, you know, give me the ball back, but um, you know, I don't think I went back to the park after that. Oh, really? Okay. Well, not just cuz I he took the ball, just probably cuz I grew out of basketball and I was like, I don't really like, you know, want to go to like a new environment cuz I don't know what'll happen. Yeah, I mean, and, and those kind of things can be a little shocking uh when it's well, especially when it's happened to you and you're not used to the environment and whatnot. But um, with that said, you know, the fact that you you grew up where your mom had to make tough choices, lights versus the gas bill or, you know, rent or what have you and those struggles. Um, and so that means that you didn't really get a lot of financial literacy information growing up. So how did you make the leap to economics major? So I found that fascinating. How did you end up getting to to that yeah so i you know yeah I, i'm definitely not telling people i'm a descendant of fi financial illiteracy and it was it was definitely passed down to me i went to college i went to drew university in madison new jersey three things were instrumental in where how where i am today happened when i was at at, at 18 years old i was at drew university 
one, I went to a predominantly white campus and those folks were not really welcoming and at, at the time uh, on that campus. Um, as, as an African-American, that being a predominantly white person, they, that was an eye opener for me, right? Even coming from Newark, they made it plain and simple. Like they didn't mm. hide. Some, some did not hide that they didn't want you there. Mm. Two, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. My, my, um, the winter of 1998, January, we were off school. I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. And then three, the, in July, the summer of July, 1988, uh, I went to Africa. I went to Egypt. So those three things changed my life, right? I mean, that's why I am today. Who I am today, why, right? Majoring in economics at Drew was, it was sort of like by accident, right? Because one of the main reasons was I had this economics professor my freshman year. He was sort of like borderline Marxist. He was just really anti-capitalist and he was just instrumental in my thinking, right? Mm -hmm. In economics, I could learn, and I did learn about money. I was introduced to stock market in my senior, senior I don't know what they call it now, but it was a, it was a um, senior requirement that I had to take. And I took okay. investing, it was an introduction to stock market or something like that, right? And that's how I was introduced to the stock market. But, but I still graduated from college financially illiterate, though. I didn't. And oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, economics had very little bit to do with financial literacy. I mean, I could understand like the economy, like monetary, fiscal policy, supply and demand, but not like the importance of having an emergency fund. Okay. That was from getting evicted. <laughs> that mm. was from getting evicted or not having your lights on. So it was like real life experiences I had to kind of learn later. But it, so what you're saying, even though you had graduated from college, the financial knowledge did not, or the, what even what you learned in school didn't carry over until the experiences you had that really kind of shaped that you need to start to change. Yeah, Drew was a great experience, you know, in in in, in total. But I have my master's and I have my law degree. I, after law school, I still was financially a little illiterate, <laughs> so it was none of these degrees made me financially literate. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And so that means that you you sought to you had to seek out this knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and so what what yeah. what was the what kind of prompted you to do to do so? Because I think even in our communities now, even I guess my even take myself for example, not constantly I mean I know the concepts and things of that name, but constantly making it part of my everyday learning. So what made you decide to pursue um, this knowledge that you could bring to others? Yeah, so and you you mentioned about you know bringing Kamari along. I wanted him when we started Black Wall Street. I wanted him, and I asked him if he wanted to be a part of it. But I wanted him to experience how to run a business firsthand. He might not want to work for anyone. So by being a part of um, Black Wall Street, when we saw he could see me, the struggles of starting a new business. He could visualize this. And hopefully he can take this experience on and say, you know, yeah, I want to start out my own business. Or no, I don't. So I keep him along. And, and, and more importantly, like that kid from the Weekway Park experience, you know, I, what we do with Junior Wall Street, we try to help underserved communities, right? That's what our focus is. So he gets to give back, right, at this early age. He's been, he's been giving back. Uh, he's 12. 
since he was 12. He's been participating and, and mm. trying to help other kids, right? Okay. So uh, he's, it was just, I got tired of just missing out, right? So losing out on like my retirement portfolio, just like one year and doing my financial illiteracy phase, like one year, I remember this very well in like 2006, 2007, I'm looking at my statement and this is all I ever did with it. I mean, I made $100,000 in one year, right? Then the next year I lost like 150 and I'm still not getting this, right? I'm just mm. like, because the economy tanked. And this is what you mentioned early on, right? Many of us don't realize we don't want to have anything to do with the stock market because we're afraid of it, right? I do, and, this, and I learned this going with this business, with Black Wall Street, I learned this. We're afraid of the stock market. We don't trust it. We think it's some type of um, scheme. I was told that by a good friend of mine, right? Mm, mm -hmm. So, and mind you, that's my good friend <laughs> telling <laughs> me that the stock market is a scheme. I'm like, whoa, I'm, maybe I need to find some other friends because you thinking I would be doing, participating in something that's a scheme for 30 years, right? Right, right. You know, like, wow. But okay, um, we don't, all of these things about being afraid or don't care about the stock market, not realizing that our retirement accounts are directly associated with that thing that we don't want to be a part of. And so after losing that money, right, that year, I was like, okay, I need to change. I Because if, if, if I did not lose that $150 that year, I'd be closer to retirement now, right? So I, I had to learn the hard way. And then I just was like, you know what? I looked at our experiences too, right? Like it, it just dawned on me that this fear, this fear of being evicted, this fear of losing our home, this fear of, 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 of not being able to afford something just made me realize that if a, if a disaster happens, like if I lose my job or my wife lose my job, lose her job, what are we going to do? Like seeing how I grew up with my mother and just not having enough, I realized that, okay, I need to become more financially literate and do the things that exhibit that, right? Like, so when we talk, like, so when I say this whole experience is like, okay, financially literate people have an emergency fund, right? Three to six months of their income set aside in case of an emergency. My mom didn't have that. So we we live in check the paycheck. And I didn't want to have that life. And I didn't want my son to experience that himself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mm -hmm. want other individuals, right? Right. Like, right. like simple things, like, like growing up. And not, not these experiences I share with the kids, right? Like our home was broken into in Newark right after Christmas season. They stole everything. Mm. All of our Christmas gifts that my mother had was able to scrunch up to afford. But you know what? What if she would have had renter's insurance? Mm -hmm. You bet. And until my mother had a stroke three years ago, she had renter's insurance at 70 something years old now. She made sure whenever she still renting, she had renter's insurance. So, Right, like, right. You know, just those things that we think is like common knowledge, right? It's, but it's not. And when we teach the kids that, and it's fun, it's it's very ironic that two years ago we had a kid that was like, his house he was from Tennessee. Their house was broken in. And he was like, man, 
I wish my mom would have renters insurance. You better believe they have renters insurance now, though. Right, right, right. You right. know, so these, these, just these, just little experiences that I can reflect upon on my own experience that make me realize that you know what, I do not want our family to go through the same experiences, <clears throat> and I had to educate myself, educate my wife, educate my son, so he doesn't have to go through that same experience right. that we went through. Right. Well, so that, and that's great. Uh, and Kamar, so I want to jump to you because I know we talked about the junior Wall Streeters and your your dad has really talked about the importance of why he, he brought you along uh, in this venture. So I wanted to ask you, when did you first, well, let me ask this first. When your dad asked you, were you reluctant to get involved um, because, you know, it's not, um, it's not something that kids probably get involved if early on, you know, we, hey, kids are playing video games and sports and doing all this other stuff. So when your dad asked you, how did you feel about it? Um, I was definitely hesitant, especially being so young. And, um, you know, I realized later and, you know, that I, it was just a way for me to be able to earn money and for me to be able to be financially literate and more set for my future because like, you know, I can't work a job at 12, but I still have things that I want to get. And at that time I was planning to buy a car, you know, this luxurious car, this Lamborghini. And I didn't know, you know, my hopes were like way too high that I can't, you know, afford a Lamborghini now that's four years later and, you know, I'll be able to drive soon. Um, but just working towards certain things that I can be able to buy for myself, knowing that I know how to invest in the stock market and I know how to be financially literate. My man, you got look, you like you got luxurious taste. How much? How much is that car? <laughs> how much is that car worth? Or <laughs> how much did it cost? Uh, I don't know the exact price, but I think it has to be somewhere over two hundred thousand dollars, probably. Okay. Oh, so you just saw it and you're like, oh, that's the car. That's the car. Yeah, I, I saw someone driving it. And I was like. Ooh, it can go fast. It's nice. I got to have it. I get it. I hear you. So you started 12. So when did you kind of figure out you really enjoyed investing and that you were really good at it? Probably around um, maybe 13, 14, after like a year or so I started. Um, you know, my dad helped me find out what stocks to buy, what ETFs to buy. And, you know, you don't really, you know, like something per se until you start, you know, being good at it or until you start winning. Um, so okay. if I start losing money, that probably changes my whole experience. Cause I'm like, I'm not good at this. So why would I bother spending more time at it? But when you start gaining money, when you start winning and you like that, you know, you like that feeling of gaining money and buying new things, then it starts to motivate you to want to invest more and want to, um, you know, find out different ways and learn more about the stock market and learn more about being financially literate. So maybe I don't have to work so long because if I have my money working for me, then it limits the time that I need to work. Oh, okay. And, and do you remember the first stock that you purchased? It was Zoomies. Um, Zoomies is like, you know, an athletic store, kind of like vans just located in malls. Um, it, okay. But it, I was looking at like Under Armour, um, you know, Dick's, Sonata, I play sports, a lot of companies around that area, but they weren't rated well. And I didn't, you know, when I was tracking them, I wasn't liking the progression. So Zoomies was the first stock that I purchased. 
Okay. Is it still is it still trading well? Or because I know it's a retail, so I know that's probably tough. Yeah, I think I, I sold it a couple of years ago. It wasn't doing as well as I wanted it to, but I did have it for about two, three years. So it was okay. actually doing pretty well. Okay. All right. Oh, awesome. So since we do have uh, a lot of young people, I think, are watching today, what would you say is the most important things that young people should know about investing? You, know, if you can give me three things, uh, three to five things. Okay. I think some of the most important things to learn is that to invest in what you know. So, you know, if I'm not a big computer guy, I'm not going to invest in like, you know, some microchip microchip company that I don't know a lot about because it's going to be harder for me to, you know, follow. But if I'm a big sports guy and I like Nike, then maybe it'll be way easier for me to follow Nike if I like you know, LeBron, he's with Nike. He releases a new shoe. I'm already going to know because, you know, I like LeBron. But when you should invest in what you know, that doesn't mean you should invest in everything that you know. You know, I was a big Steph Curry guy and I liked Under Armour, but I didn't buy Under Armour just because I like Steph Curry. I didn't buy it because it wasn't doing well. So I think when you mm -hmm. start investing, you have to start looking at things that you know and things that you like. You know, Apple, I have an Apple phone, Apple computer. Um, those are things that are around me. And I also think one of the most important things is to stay patient because, you know, especially over the years, my portfolio has taken hits, you know, big hits and also taken big gains. But, you know, through the gains and the losses, I think I still carved out a nice gain because it's going to be ups and downs, you know, no matter what. So you have to stay patient, invest in what you know, and also make sure that your account has good diversification because you don't want to put too many shares into one stock because if it's having a bad day, you're losing all that money. Uh, versus, vice versa, if it's having a good day, you're gaining, but you don't want to be an all or nothing account. You want to have diversification in your account so that even on a bad day, you're still not losing as much as you could be because you're not putting all, you know, all your eggs in one basket. Mm, yeah, that, and that's a good segue because you talked about you didn't invest in Under Armour because you saw it wasn't performing well. But what what is the sort of the what is sort of the research that you did in order to come to that determination that kids, you know, young investors need to know what to look for? So I look at um, analyst reports on um, you know Charles Schwab, which is what you know the company that I used to invest, and they have a lot of analyst reports about the stock. And then I look at, you know, they have like the charts. It says two-year progression, six months, like a month, a week, a day. And then I also try to track it for at least a couple of weeks to see that where it's going. I don't want to make sure it's not dipping, you know, too low. Or if I buy it, it's just going to go lower. Um, you know, maybe if it drops a little bit, then I should buy it because, you know, buy it when it's lower so you can buy more shares. You know, try to see. Normally I look for, a, you know, a small but steady increase up to know that if I buy it, you know, it's going to stay the same. And lately over the summer, I looked at a lot of analyst reports and I looked at Yahoo Finance to see how good the stock was doing consistently enough to know that I should purchase the stock. Okay. And in the, in the report, and I know we, we don't want to get too technical, but was there any, in, in the report itself, are there any specific benchmarks that you use to help you um, decide if it was a, a good performing stock versus a bad one? Well, on 
you know, once you click on a stock, there's like a bunch of different analysts and they all have different opinions. Some, you know, rate it, you know, some, it's like an A, it's like a school A through F scale. Some rated an A, some rated an F, you know, some rated a C, D, and then they have their reasons. Um, a lot of times I look for minimum, you know, a B to an A when I'm first purchasing a stock. Um, and I look for consistency throughout those reports to make sure that it's an A through a, at least to a B. You know, if I see, you know, at least, you know, majority of the analysts have it A through B. And then they'll have like a little blurb and you can see like the date when they wrote the report. Got to make sure, mm-hmm. I have to make sure that the date is, you know, current, uh, at least like a month or so to make sure that it's not falling off. And then they'll say something like trending upwards or they'll say goodbye. They'll say long-term, short-term. So then I'll know what I'm look what I'm in for if I buy the stock. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, da- so dad, let's we can get back to you. Let's fill in the gaps a little bit, especially for those adults that may want to, I guess, delve a little deeper, especially for the beginners. Um, did your son do a good job? And how? What are, what other additional things could we add to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with my little guy there. You know, you know, he, he, he's really, I'm, I'm like, whoa. So he is listening to me. <laughs> um, I just got a, a, a text from one of my parents that, that is listening. Oh man, this is just going to make my day. Yeah. I, I think Kamari was looking for revenues because I always tell him sales, revenues, um, okay. re- revenue has to be on a, on the rise. The company sales have to be on the rise. So doing a, doing a, doing a, uh, and that's what Kamari is saying, consistently increasing the sales every quarter are consistently increasing. Now I do want to pause and say, we're definitely not spot financial specialists. We're not like certified. So I, we're really for beginners. Like, um, and, and I, I know you're not, um, saying that we are, Keith. I just wanted to for the listeners. Mm-hmm. We're just, we're just really beginners, and and Kamari is 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 definitely in there in, in in there for the long run. And Keith, one of the questions you did ask, and I just want to just bring it back briefly when we mentioned that with Kamari, is I took that opportunity right when he asked me about the car because he literally asked me, "Can I get him that car when he gets older?" And I'm like, I'm driving like I was driving a BMW at the time. But I, I'm driving now Volkswagen and a, a GTO, and he's like now a, a, a Lamborghini. I, I'm like, uh, do you see? I'm like, so, but I use that opportunity and for parents to capitalize on it. So, okay, you know what? You want that car? I'm going to show you. You do that. You, you, because he was investing before we started the business. Mm-hmm. He was investing six months before he was 11. So I took that opportunity to say, hey, look, you know what? I'm going to give you some money to invest in the stock market. You want to get this car? This is how you can do it. Because mommy and daddy can't buy no car like that. That's not happening. Because that means right. we have to take money out of a time account. That's not happening. So and you know, so I gave him the tools. If he wanted this car bad enough, he had the tools. Now mm-hmm. I'm not saying he would have the money in the years and a hundred thousand off, but once he gets old enough, he'll be able to do that. Right. Right. So, but. Again, Keith, we can kind of merge these conversations, and this is what we try to do with our listeners, right? No one, no one, with the, and this is with financial literacy, no one should be investing in the stock market unless they have money to lose. So if you don't have an emergency account, you don't have an emergency fund where you have three to six months, three to six months set aside in case of an emergency, 
we say three to six months, we mean three to six months of your expenses set aside mm. in a separate account. You should not be investing in stock market. Miss G, our financial literacy teacher, we were working with uh, families from a homeless shelter. And we had some of the parents in there investing to pay bills for the next month. No. Mm. It's like, mm. no. And not only that, they were investing in cryptocurrency wow. to pay bills. I'm like, what? I mean, this is an adult. It's like, no, no, no. Because the stock market is like up and down, up and mm. down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you don't know. We So we don't, we don't, we don't. We don't condone that. We don't advise people do that. So if you don't have money that you can stand to lose, that you could that you could just say, okay, I'm going to invest $25 a month in the stock market, 50, 100, whatever. If you can't say bye-bye to that money, then you don't need to be investing in the stock market. This is not for you right now. Get your emergency fund set aside and then invest, right? And the other thing Kamari mentioned, he talked about his um his ETFs. Like a lot of people, we don't, those are exchange traded funds, right? There's a lot. What are those, Kamar? What are those? Um, exchange traded funds, ETFs are like a basket of stocks put under one roof, which is like an, the name of the ETF. My best uh, ETF is QQQ, which has a little bit of um, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, which is Google, Tesla in it, and it's um, doing really well. So like Kamari said that, right? So he said that he said he said his diversification, right? So he mm-hmm. has his ETFs and right. he has his stocks. But his stocks are not doing really well. And part of that is because his selections, because I really do try to have hands off and let him learn by by experiencing his gains and losses. And like he said, his first stock, right? Zoomies. Keith, I tried to get him to sell that stock. I said, because the malls were closing. Right. And his his people are not going to malls, and he is true. He is my son. He was like, because I told him to do it, he said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not sell it. Keith, he did not sell it. I'm not I'm just joking. He I don't, he, he decided, he was like, I'm not going to sell that. And he made a good decision because they made more money because they kicked in their online sales, and they were doing very well. So okay. he, I said, okay. All right. I said, all right, that's, I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay. Nice. I let him make his own decision. <laughs> okay. And he did well, really well. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just when I think sometimes people don't understand and they get turned off. They get turned off really easy. Like, oh, I put my money in the stock market and I lost it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's not an all win thing, but if you stay in it for the long term, right for the long term and we teach our kids to be long term versus short term right right and, that's, and so I you think, and you mm-hmm. mentioned the uh and that's a concept itself having an emergency fund first so what are some of the other concepts that uh when they when a beginner gets in investing that things that they should know yeah i'm going to take away i'm going to take a little bit from kamari like you should track right you should track your stocks you don't have to buy so quick you know, so like like Kamari said, uh, if 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 kids or adults or if you shop at Amazon, or you know, like if you shop at Target, um, the the first we like to encourage our our people to be investors more than consumers, because right now, as you mentioned, we consume a lot, but we don't invest. So you can spend. on an Apple stock versus the phone being $1,500. 
So why not buy the, the stock versus the phone? Because it's, it's not tangible, right? But so, mm-hmm. but we encourage you to buy, invest in things you know, is what Kamari said. But track that for a few weeks. Try to learn, meaning track the stock, its gains and losses, and try to understand how the stock market works, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're so new to it, and I would take our class or take a camp, you know, don't just go in it alone, right? And that's why we say join an investment club, because it's not your own money. It's putting a pool of resources together, right? And then, um, so it's, it's tracking, right? Tracking, mm-hmm. learning how the stock market works, investing in what you know, what you use, what you're familiar with, right? Then, as Kamari said, again, look at that financial news channel. Don't be afraid of that cable channel that you never turn to, that CNBC, that that, that um, MSBC, mm-hmm. where they're talking about, just get a little bit of it, 15 minutes, where they're talking about the stock market is up, stock market is down. And now's a great time because inflation is so high. They always are talking about the high inflation rate. They always are talking about uh, how interest rates, I mean, how interest rates. Mm-hmm. And try to learn how this is how they Facts, all work right. together, right? And Kamari again said it, diversification, man. Don't put all your money in one basket. But if you want to put it in the basket, look at an ETF. Like Kamari, right? So Kamari, you want to share experience when he bought he bought QQQ, right? And it was doing really well. It was doing very well, right? And what, what did you do? He got, he won, he was in a speech contest, right? He was in a speech contest down here um, when he was in the sixth grade. He came in second place, so he won money. We're not talking about we're rich people that he just have thousands. No, he won. He came in second, right? He won $250. So I said, look, come on. If you invest that money, I will match it and give you another $250. Now, Keith, you understand me here. Now, you know he took about two weeks to say he was going to do it. <laughs> he did not jump on it. I'm talking. I'm telling my wife, I'm like, bet, bet. He's still thinking about it. I said I would double his money. Okay, all right, that's our child. Well, he saw them sneakers he wanted to purchase or whatever he, else. He, right, he and that's what he said. He had a video game he was thinking about. He was thinking oh, about video the game? Okay. video game that came out. I said, all right. Yeah, Madden, yeah, Madden or uh, NBA lot, NBA 2K was probably coming out. Yeah, he's a big MLB. He's a big MLB. Oh, MLB. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's baseball. Madden, too. He took his he took his sweet time. I said, all right. He took his sweet time. And then I, then I matched it. Right? I gave him 250 So he had $500 to investment. What did you want to buy when that time? What more did you want to buy of? I wanted to buy more of my ETF QQQ because it was doing so well. Okay. That's what fantastic. would you buy instead? But instead, I had to have my my dad said my account had to have diversification. Okay. So he told me I had, you know, he showed me another ETF called VTI that was a little smaller than QQQ that had a lot of similar holdings. Amazon, Alphabet, you know, Microsoft, similar holdings, but it okay. wasn't as much price per share. Right. So um, I'm tracking it. You know, every time QQQ is down $8, VTI is down like 3 But vice versa, every time QQQ is up like 10 VTI is up like 3 So it's like, you know, it's a take and give, but it helps my account be more balanced and have my div- more diversification when I added VTI into um, my holdings. Right, right. Because if one loses, you don't want, you don't lose all in just one. It makes sense. It makes sense. That's fantastic. So diversification is key. One one more uh, concept that you think? Yeah, uh, one other thing I would say is understanding unrealized gain 
and unrealized losses, which is basically profit and losses. But when you say unrealized gain or unreal loss, that's money. Like that's a daily gain that it's a it's a gain or it can be a loss, but it's not realized until you take it out your account. Right. So it's sort of like profit and loss. So you, that if you as you understand that, so you you may see your account is doing really well, but if you don't take that money out, it's not really a profit. So understanding the profits and the losses and how it works in the stock market is a little bit different than, let's say, if you're in a a, a regular business and you it it, it probably is your profit because you realize that when the stock market until you sell those shares, it's an unrealized gain or unrealized loss. Right. Yeah, and the whole buy and hold strategy right. and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And and then, I mean, I know because I know you focused more with beginning investors, but if there are some intermediate investors that may be on the line, is there any tips, one or two, that you would provide them to kind of help them go to the next level? Yeah, if if I was to say, I know some, some people are not doing this any already. I would definitely take a look at. Um, ETFs. Uh, some people not. It's not enough. I think of us are investing in exchange traded funds. So we may do mutual funds mm. more so over um, ETFs. Some mutual funds are, are way more popular, but there are different there there are different trading techniques with ETFs and mutual um, trading advantages between an ETF and a, and a mutual fund. And I think if if you could con- consider looking at those, and um, as an as a an intermediate investor, you might even want to shift to something they're totally different, like real estate. You know, we, my wife and I, um, I mean, that's how I paid off my student loans. Mm. I paid off my student loans by investing in real estate and, and the stock market. So I think real estate is, is also a very good avenue. And if, if again, for intermediate investor, if you can ever understand angel investing, like venture capitalist investing, and that was the, one of the main reasons I wanted to, and it still is, I haven't changed. It's just my, my, my time frame has changed is with investing investment clubs is to teach us to get more of us involved with angel investing, because I think um, we, you that you can make a lot of money, but you just have to have a, a, a knowledge and understanding that you might just not get your money back. But if they say, let's say, if you can wait, 10 to 15 years, you, when you get your money, you really get your money when you're doing an angel investing, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a big risk involved. Right. Thank you. So I know that we talked about your whole primary purpose is to help communities start investment clubs, disadvantaged communities. So what, one of the things I wanted to get kind of your opinion on is that that's almost a paradigm shift that communities have to do in order to do that. So how, how do you feel about that? And what are some of the things you've had to do, I guess, especially in trying to get communities to even buy into the junior Wall Street program? What are the, some of the things that you've had to kind of help communities understand? Yeah, don't get me wrong, uh, Keith. Investment clubs for underserved communities is, a, is really tough, right? But it's, it may be tougher for adults, but I think kids, if we teach the kids early on, because um, they have enough time that they can they can learn it early and then when they become adults, right? So, um, but I, I think I think it's, it's very important for us to understand that 
you can have, and I and I didn't always feel this way. I just once we got more involved with Junior Washington, I realized that it's just not a. Some people just have a lot of fear and don't really have the funds, right? But I still would encourage people to start some type of club or to to improve your education. Though, how else are you going to become financially literate if you're just waiting for someone to give you that education? So if you have a family, you have some family members that would just want to get together and learn more, you can learn, teach each other. So, you know, one of our issues as a community is sometimes we don't have enough life insurance, right? We'd like to, we'd like to say we have enough to kind of cover a funeral, but there are some communities out there that leave, leave inheritances through their, through their life insurance policy. You know, they get, they get, they get million dollar policies when they're young and, and they leave, they pass that on to their family. So um, the, these clubs, right, are a good way to educate ourselves. And you could take turns bringing in different topics. Like one, one day a member could bring in information about stock, Apple stock. Um, now you hear a lot about AI, this AI stuff, right? Sometimes we just let this information go by us, right? Mm. But like NVIDIA this week, I mean, I don't know NVIDIA, how many, that, that's a popular AI stock, man. I, I, I think they may have gained $50 a share this week alone. Mm. Um, so if you, that that information sh- can be shared like in a small group, like AI, okay. Uh, and what I did, Keith, I took Kamari, we went to a baseball tournament this summer in Pittsburgh, right? We called room service, the front desk actually, to get more tiles delivered to the room because they didn't realize we had three people in the room. And do you know, Keith, a robot, if I if I was able to share you the robot, a robot brought the towel. Wow, stop. Are you serious? Yeah, a robot. And I came and I came back and I showed the kids and I'm like all excited. I'm like, look, guys, a robot delivered the towels. And I was and I was videotaping it. It, it went right back to the elevator, went downstairs and went back to the front desk. I'm freaking that, out. That's right? scary. So I get, it, it's crazy, right? So I get the name of the company and I take it back to the kids and we're just like dissecting it. The company is not even a public company. So that's what I mean about angel investing. If you invest right. in a company, potentially, why it's not even public, what could happen, right? But this is how we teach the kids, right? We like to say, look, this robot, one, okay, we know 98%, according to Dr. George Trader said, 98% of the wealthiest people in this country made their wealth off the stock market. Warren Buffett, even buying and selling stocks, or like mm-hmm. people like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, owning a company and then taking it public. Right. right. So this is and this is why this information with the kids, right? We realized that since we hit a roadblock, we had to pivot because adults were not like trying to sign up and start investment clubs. So that's how Junior Wall Street is what really came about. Mm. We had to pivot, and I just said, look. Can we help our communities by focusing on the kids? And so some of these parents that they knew if they didn't want the information themselves or if they weren't concerned, they wanted their kids to have the information. At least their kids could have the information. And what we found that was some of those same parents were listening on to our lesson. Now we got one of our parents on, she did a, she did a, she did another one on me, um, Kent. She just gave me a whole nother idea. I tried this. I shouldn't say new, but she took the class with her two sons. And they were only like, I want to say, I hope she, oh, she's going to get me on this. I don't remember the ages, but like, I want to say eight and 12 or nine okay. and 12. Right. 
Now that teaching a class with a family structure, those right. little boys, man, they will. And she like used to go over the information after class. Can you imagine where they're going to be? Those two little boys, five, six years down the road, they're going to be the new Kamaris. Right, right. They're together. Oh man, they, it was just them sitting there and she just going over and she was learning and participating too. It was just a, such a fascinating experience. So, but what I, my goal with the investment clubs with the kids is like, so they know, like, right? Some you hear a lot about, you hear a lot about, well, people say, well, don't go to school college because you're going to take out these loans, this and that, these school loans. I'm like, look, you, you take out loans and you get that education because you're going to form an investment club and you're going to pay off those loans sooner rather than later you're going to buy your first house with that investment club money you know why i say that keith we're sending our son to a private school you know what 50 percent of that, that money coming from our investment club oh wow we rich it is coming right. from our investment club man that's awesome yeah yeah that's power i mean that's powerful communication just to to add to families because uh you know i i really deep down kick myself that we couldn't, we didn't stick ours out because we, there was some of those stocks that we, I mean, we had Amazon back when Amazon was just selling books. We had, yeah. um, uh, AMT. I forget, but there were some that we had that were, that are still around some that aren't, but if we would have just stayed with it, uh, some of us, um, and even down, maybe we might've had to downgrade how much we invested, but just keeping it would have yeah. made a whole, made a, would have made a difference. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I would even say that to those investment clubs out there as you, you know, hold on to that, keep it going, figure if you have to restructure, figure it out. But um, yeah, so that that's great. That's great stuff. So um, ha before we go, I have one more question, but before we get to that, how can individual, anyone that's listening, uh, if they want to get into the junior Wall Streeter program or just know how to get involved and get guidance and support how can they do so yeah uh, um and i probably could have been diagnosed sooner you know right. or, or or did i don't know if you could do things to prevent it but at least that um yeah so we have a website www.theblackwallstreeter.com we're on instagram as junior wall streeter at uh, ampersand junior wall streeter and you know my motto is regardless of your financial situation, you should be able to get a financial education. So we try to offer scholarships. And, um, you know, so I, I, you know, I was told, it was suggested by several people that I'd actually make Junior Washington a nonprofit because of the grant money that's available. Unfortunately, we haven't been given um, any grants. We've been denied uh, many, many times. And um, mm. but we've had people, I just solicit other lawyers just to, um, because I'm just that passionate that kids need this information. So I, I solicit people to make donations. And, um, and and this woman, like I said, out of Pittsburgh, she just donated, you know, a couple thousand dollars for, 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 to, to the organization to fund that. So I, I don't really care. Um, long as, and my, my only requirement is for the scholarship is that you attend the camp for the entire two weeks. Because mm -hmm. the first week is just basic financial literacy, then the second week is all investing stuff. And, and just hang in there with us. We're still relatively new. And one thing that we do totally different that people need to understand <coughs> about Junior Wall Streeters mm -hmm. 
if we try to teach our course from an Afrocentric perspective, and kids really like that. I mean, when we do the end of the year evaluation, kids learning about Africa, um, learning about great dynasties, um, like our history before slavery, it's just so surprising how, how most of our kids don't know that. Right. And so we do, we, we do, we do an hour of that in, in our camp. And, um, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's we, awesome. Yeah. We try, and you know, I try to bring back my masters in African-American studies. I try to inf- implement that. Right. Right. Throughout, you know, I, I try to bring my whole self and sort of like in, into what we do. And, um, you know, we, we 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 have our own curriculum too. So everyone know we're trying to get our curriculum into school systems. So um, we we had several meetings. We're not there yet. Our most recent meeting was, was from a middle school in the south side of Chicago, and that's that type of population. So not only when I say Afrocentric perspective, Keith, I mean it's like we also teach kids like about their communities. Why does your community have a pawn shop and other communities don't? Why does North has check casting places in other communities while Short Hills, Milburn, or whatever don't. Because people don't use them there. Because you don't, because, and, and it's like, we, it's some of the things you think is like common right. sense, it's not like having a bank account, right? So some of this information is like, try to get the kids to understand like you can make a direct impact like in your community. Like we know, right. I know, Keith, I can talk about this for days, so I'll, I'll <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I hear you. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Well, here's my, my last question, and, you know, it's a surprise, but it's a little bit more deep. Um, but I asked it for all my guests um, because, you know, we always, as, as men, working so hard to, to think about family and things like that nature, but we don't necessarily think about um, who we are as men. So my question is, always um how are you feeling as black men and, you know young man and an older gentleman so kamari we'll start with you first how are you feeling as a black young man about to enter into your junior year in high school i'm feeling good uh i'm excited you know to start my junior year um actually going to a new school so chance to uh, meet some new people and um you know further my baseball career Okay, fantastic. Um, and Dad, how are you feeling? Yeah. It's always a challenge, you know. I, I think I'm, I'm feeling good, but I'm the way the current environment is. You know, I, I'm just hopeful that things will work out. Like from a, a political spectrum, like it gets kind of scary. And raising a black son, you know, I don't, I don't. And now he's he'll, he. I try to tell him right. Um, like he'll be driving soon. Like, what you got to do to like live? You know, we got to. I don't. I try. I don't take that for granted that he won't be stopped and I can lose him. Like, you know, I tell him, "Hey, man, a cop come. You got to listen to what that cop says. Put your hand on that steering wheel." You know, so it just. I. I want him to be safe. I want to be safe, but I'm really. I'm. I'm hopeful that things will get better. But most important for me as a black man, and this is this is this is what drives me is I'm a lawyer full time. But this right here, Junior Wall Streeter, this is passion here. So mm-hmm. this sort of like wakes me up. This brings me alive that I am doing something to empower our community. And we're, we're striving to be our best. We may, we may not be the best now, but we will get there. And, you know, and, I, and I'll say that I have, a, my, I have another brother from Newark. Um, and I'm, I get to work with other black men like this guy, this guy, Vince Randolph from Newark. 
man that brother he, he teaches our cryptocurrency class keith and not only he, he like volunteers his time to teach our kids mm. he volunteered he gave our entire people in our camp his own cryptocurrency to make sure they had all the kids that wanted it so the this organization has allowed me to work with people like him and this, and this, this brother named kamal hubbard did the same thing he he gave kids that took our cryptocurrency class last summer um he gave them ethereum which is one of the hottest cryptocurrency stocks he gave them a few shares of that mm. this and even meeting people like you like if brothers we can keep working together to empower ourselves that just that just makes me feel like Kamari has a really bright future man there are people out there they're hard to find though they, they're not like just like, like i can't just reach out and get them you know um but 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 if we continue to work together like you bringing us other you know of just saying that this is a good example that we are doing positive stuff and we met sometimes we feel like oh no there's not one out there no my, my other good friend started a college counseling service so like, another brother you know we're out there and it gives me a lot of hope if we can start working more working together more to to uplift each other yes thank you and that's the main reason why i do what i do mm-hmm. in order to get these extraordinary things that you and your son are doing so Kamari, Kavan, uh, thank you guys for being on today. And um, I really look forward to hearing more about Black Wall Streeter consultation services, as well as Junior Wall Street. Um, you guys are doing great things. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you, Kavan and Kamari, for a wonderful interview. I can't wait to see your journey as you get the Black Wall Streeter and the, and the Junior Black Wall Streeter program to as many distressed communities as possible. We truly have to make that commitment to be owners if we want to turn around our situation. And it will start with our young people. And I believe we can get that done. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can follow this podcast and listen to previous episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you know, we like to end every show with a quote. And this one comes from Nipsey Hussle, a rap artist and entrepreneur who unfortunately lost his life to gun violence back in 2019. And the quote goes like this. Instead of trying to build a brick wall, lay a brick every day. Eventually, you'll look up and you'll have a brick wall. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.